Hello, Nuggeteers, and welcome to another episode of Niner Nuggets. Uh, apologies for it being uh, so long. We just were serving a four-game suspension for Tom Brady. Um, <laughs> but now we're back and uh, couldn't be happier to, to be joining you on the week of the NFL Draft. This is Vondi, and with me as always is my main man, Hench. Hench, how's it going? Doing great, Vondi. I'm ready and very excited to talk about Deflategate for an hour. Perfect. So <laughs> let's get back into the issue with the balls. No, I mean, <laughs> that's not going to be happening on, on this this podcast. I think the uh, five of you who listen know that's not how we roll. Um but I think we should, uh, before we get into all the draft stuff, this episode is going to be uh, pretty heavy on what the Niners should do at the seventh pick and which players we think are going to be options and who might be the best fit. Um, I think quickly we should maybe touch on uh, the big news of last week was Josh Norman um, when he became a free agent after the Carolina Panthers rescinded his uh, franchise tag and there was a lot of fire out of the gate that he was linked to the 49ers Um, why you know and and obviously he went and signed a pretty big deal with uh, with the Redskins but but Hinch why do you think the Niners wouldn't have paid that much for for Josh Norman well I mean I I think it's understandable that you wouldn't want to pay someone like that that much money. I mean, there's, you know, he had his first excellent season at age 28. He's, he's taken a little while to develop. I think you could argue that, you know, his play in the Carolina system, uh, the system helps him a lot and the players he plays around help him a lot. I understand all that. The thing that's starting to be very concerning and, I mean, it's nice we're starting with this because I, I feel like our podcast could be the, the Trent Balky hate show or, or something like that, but this is, if, if what, and it's hard to know whether it's true or not, all the reports of, oh, they were in on him from the get-go, they were front runners initially, they were going to put up a lot of money, and then then the report is, oh, they backed off because they were hoping or expecting a cooler market for him, and if the front office actually believes that, if they walked into that saying, oh, we're, we're going to be able to land him at a good price... I just think that they're delusional. That's, I mean, that's one of the things I just wanted to touch on is, are we sure that this front office knows what they're doing in regards to, to signing free agents? And, you know, they have so much cap space that they are going to have to use at some point. Do we have any trust that they're going to be able to gauge the market correctly? Um, you know, that's that's the thing that I'm very concerned about. And I know another thing that you mentioned is about, you know, kind of comparing to their own players. So... I mean, feel free to go off on that because this is this is getting really concerning how they're treating these free agents. No, definitely. And I think obviously it's tough to think that we're one or two pieces away from being a contender again. Um, that's definitely not the case. But I do believe that we need to start, you know, stockpiling talent and that needs to happen yesterday. So if a guy becomes available who is an all-pro caliber player and you have the money, you're going to have to pay money eventually for these guys because let me tell you, 
the way the drafting has gone under Trent Baalke, we're not ever going to have a full roster of, of quality players again. Um, so we're going to need to bring some guys in from the outside. And it seems my the way I've picked up on it from things he said and, and comments I've read, um, I really think they try, they don't want to bring anyone in to the locker room who's making more than, say, Joe Staley or Navarro Bowman. So those are sort of the uh, watermarks on both sides of the ball outside of Colin Kaepernick's deal as quarterback. But, you know, generally people have quarterbacks in a, in a category of their own when it comes to, to pay. So that puts us in a, in a huge disadvantage because Bowman and Staley are on quite small contracts when you look at the landscape of, of the NFL of, of players of their ilk. And if that's going to be the mentality moving forward, we're never going to be able to sign truly you know, quality, true quality free agents to come in and help the team because, you know, free agents are looking to cash in. So I think it's going to be a conundrum for us moving forward with trying to not only uh, stockpile talent in the draft, but also to bring in a couple of key pieces in free agency. And, and you know, he was saying, uh, Trent was saying prior to the Super Bowl that he he thinks all the successful teams are ones that build through the draft. And, you know, that's true. There's been a lot of successful teams uh, who've won recently that have done that. But, um, you know, if you look at the, the Seahawks the last few years, some of their, their key contributors with uh, Bennett and Cliff Averill and, and they had Marshawn Lynch, um, you know, those were guys that they signed in free agency or traded for, and they were big parts of their success. And then with the most recent Super Bowl champs, you're looking at uh, Ward and Aqib Tlaib and Emmanuel Sanders, obviously um, Peyton Manning and Demarcus Ware, and the list goes on, uh, Evan Mathis. That team had some great homegrown talent as far as, you know, Von Miller um, and Wolf and uh, also Demarius Thomas. But, um, you know, they've brought in a lot of quality free agents, and I think I honestly subscribe to it being sort of a 50-50 where you obviously have to draft well, and that's going to help with the financial part because you can keep guys for longer, for cheaper, but you also have to go out and really bring in some impact players. So after being relatively quiet, um, if you don't count Zane Beatles and, and Thad Lewis in free agency, uh, thought that Josh Norman was an opportunity for – for Trent to, to maybe bring someone in at a position that we'd known they've been looking at, you know, Sean Smith, they were in on supposedly at the start of free agency and Josh Norman coming off a big year, wanted to be in the Bay and could have brought some swagger back to the team. Um, it just seemed odd. And, and I definitely agree with your point as well, that the reports coming out that they didn't realize he was going to want as much money as he wanted. Well, you and I knew that. So how is it that we knew that and and the front office of the 49ers didn't? Yeah, I mean he left he left a, he was going to leave a great situation because of money. I mean the, the the couple points. First of all, the 49ers are not a good team anymore. They live they they unfortunately and fortunately to to a large degree play in an area that is extremely expensive with a very high state tax rate. 
those things matter to some players. I'm sure they don't matter to other players. They're a bad team right now. They're not going to win a Super Bowl in the next two or three years. I think it's it's fair to say. How in the world, why would a player take less money than... So 49ers are going to have to offer the absolute top dollar to bring anybody in. Now on defense, they have a head coach that has a negative view from players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, where it's going to be more challenging for defensive players to put up good numbers to be part of a great defense. So they are not getting anybody for cheaper than top of the market. Not just are they going to have to pay what Washington pay, they're going to have to pay more. And if they don't realize that, that's a problem. And if they do and they're just saying, well, we don't want to pay that or we don't want to pay top dollar for everything, then you start getting into a philosophical thing like you were going through where I think it's totally understandable. I mean, a guy like Olivier Vernon had about six good games before his free agency. He got $85 million. I can certainly understand not paying him that. But Norman it was an all-pro. Um, he had a desire possibly to come to California and play. Um, I think he was a different, a little bit different of a test case. And the proof is, you know, free agency, you can't just not sign anybody. And the four, and Scott McLuhan, who, by the way, just signed Josh Norman, started building the 49er team that ended up winning an NFC championship game by bringing in high-priced free agents, overpaid free agents, such as Justin Smith and Nate Clemens. And Clemens was a bust. Nasty Nate. And Balky would would laugh at that deal in hindsight. But Justin Smith turned out to be one of the greatest players in franchise history. So it's about scouting. It's about knowing who you want and going specifically after they want. And apparently Trent Balky liked Josh Norman enough to be interested in him, at least if you believe reports, and maybe we shouldn't. So if you like him, pay for him. You've got the money. You've got the cap space. You got a player who it sounds like might actually have wanted to come here, which is not going to happen very much. It seemed like a great fit, and it's disappointing that it didn't work out. And is it the end of the world? Probably not. I mean, you know, instead of seven wins, we're going to win five or six. But um, you know, it's it's frustrating, and it's just another kind of leaves you with the question. You know, does this front office know what it's doing at all? But I and and I don't want to go on about this too much longer because I want to get into the draft stuff. But there was an opportunity here where with the cap space and with the place we are currently as a franchise, if we're honest with ourselves, and that's sort of the biggest issue, I think, and concern I have with the front office is are they being honest with themselves and really looking at the situation um, for what it truly is? Or are they sugarcoating things and maybe in denial about uh, the state of the franchise? But you had an opportunity, you know, you you hit on Justin Smith and Nasty Nate. That really did start to turn the team around as far as bringing in some quality players in their prime to help be a foundation and create a team identity. You had someone like Josh Norman coming off the best season of his career. Yeah, he's 28, and he was a fifth-round pick, and he wanted a lot of money, but we needed a corner, and there is some sort of swagger about him that I think would have been beneficial for the, a younger team. And you could have gone out and brought him in and then gone maybe made a move for Muhammad Wilkerson from the Jets, who's someone that we sort of had earmarked last year as a Trent Balky guy prior to his injury in the franchise tag. 
He has the size, the intangibles, and is a great player on the defensive line. That you bring those two guys in and you draft someone at seven on on the defensive side of the ball, and all of a sudden you could have had uh, a completely looking, a completely different looking defense, and one that had similar traits to the teams uh, when we were going to NFC championships or going to the Super Bowl and having some success. But it just seems that there's this reluctancy because I think they're very image conscious. And I know Jed York is. And they don't want to come across as as looking as bad as they truly are right now. So with free agency stuff, and obviously the Yorks are uh, sort of renowned for being very cheap and not wanting to pay a lot of stuff. And a point you make to me a lot is a lot of these deals include a, a big chunk of change up front, you know. Would the Yorks want to cut a $20 million, you know, check to Josh Norman up front? No, they wouldn't. Or, or Muhammad Wilkerson? No, they wouldn't. But at the same time, they don't want to lose out on any of these players and have people start questioning, oh, wow, like the Niners can't even sign Josh Norman or they, you know, they can't get Hugh Jackson as their head coach or any of that stuff. They're very conscientious of how they appear in the media and how their organization is sort of um, – thought of and I think a lot of people are starting to realize they're at the bottom of the rung right now and pretty soon everyone will so I think that sort of goes hand in hand with the money thing and not wanting to pay too much for um, someone who had six good games and and sort of disrupting the locker room with upsetting the veteran players who have taken hometown discounts and aren't paying uh, getting paid as much so in my mind it's sort of a culmination of all that but moving forward if they want to have success again, they're going to have to figure out how to do that with bringing in some free agents. Yeah, and the last thing I'm going to mention is that I personally, I think what Trent Bulky does in a vacuum makes a lot of sense in the way that they're approaching this as a full from the ground up rebuild. We're building through the draft. I think it makes sense in theory, but what I will say is the NFL is not like baseball or basketball where you know i i just don't see it as a sport that is worth rebuilding in because careers are so short because you only get players outside of the first round for four years and we're seeing some of trent bulky's draft picks they're going to be gone you know next year and so it's like oh you're rebuilding with these guys and they're going to be free agents and, and leave the team so if you look what washington did last year when McLuhan came in he was that team was about as primed for a rebuild as you could even imagine. They had basically three quarterbacks that were about a quarter quarterback each talent-wise. <laughs> they had no great they had a couple of good players on the roster like Trent Williams and Deshaun Jackson, but nothing really as standout all-pro amazing players on the roster. I would I would equate them kind of coincidentally to Joe Staley and Navarro Bowman and what McLuhan started doing is he still started filling the roster with adequate free agents guys that could play guys that could start guys that were not draft picks from the past regime and of course he started making draft picks he didn't give up his draft picks or anything like that and then lo and behold he gets a little fortunate that Kirk Cousins turns into a a, a borderline pro bowl quarterback the coaching staff's doing some nice things they get some good player they, but the thing is is 
they're not just waiting three or four years and saying, oh, we're building towards something. Because I don't think that's the way it should work in the NFL. And Washington goes to the playoffs last year, and their fans don't have to wait two or three seasons to get their quarterback, to get three number one picks, to get all this stuff. That's the stuff that infuriates me is football. There's not a big difference between being four and 12 and nine and seven in football. So there's no need to do a three or four year rebuild with the current roster. There just isn't. And when you have $55 million of assets and cap space that you're not using, what you're saying is, we want to take the Jacksonville route. We want to take the Tennessee route. We want to take the Tampa Bay route. And that route has fucking been terrible for those franchises. They've been perennial losers for five years. And so that's the route that the Trent Balky and Jed York regimes decided to go down, apparently. And quite frankly, I, as a fan who, you know, wants to, you know, pays good money to, to watch the team in person and wants to watch them win every Sunday and devotes that much time to them, I want to see him try to win right away. And I don't think there's a long-term cost of doing that. All you're saying is use your cap space. That's it. Bring in some players that can help the team. And that's the part that really frustrates me because, yeah, we're, we're you know, it's great. He wants to be Tennessee, basically. And maybe in 10 years, they'll, when Balky's gone and Chip Kelly's gone and Jed York, unfortunately, is still there, they might, they might uh, have a chance to win something. It's very frustrating. No, it is. And, um, Yay, it's draft week. After yeah. that, I, I think uh, I completely agree. And heading into this draft talk right now, I'll say the one team, and it's strange to say, but that we, you and I uh, speaking off, off record um, personally, want to emulate heading into this draft is the Oakland Raiders. <laughs> and this is a team that's done very similar to what you mentioned the Redskins doing, but have signed adequate free agents after they got over the signings of like, you know, the Richard Sherman's or the Tucks and, and, you know, things like that, um, that have brought in, you know, crab trees on, on cheap, short term deals, -term deals. And let's fill the bot because let's face it. There, there aren't many positions on this roster that, we could have signed a free agent and had someone better on our current roster than the person we would have brought in. Yeah. So um, you, you want the fans to continue to pay this premium and the seat license things and renewing, but I'm telling you, you're heading for a big issue if you can't produce something better on, on the field. And it was your mistake to fire Harbaugh, whether it was right or wrong. If you right. did it, bring in a better coach. And there were plenty of guys available. You decided to, to bring in Tom Sula. Great. You have to pay a lot of money to pay him off. Well, you should for the, the moronic, uh, reasoning behind even making him a head coach in the first place. And, you know what? Oh, this is great. You have Eric Reed or you have Navarro Bowman or Joe Staley. By the time you've drafted and developed enough good players, if you can even draft good players, those guys are going to be long gone, retired or on different teams. So uh, these core guys don't even matter right now. This is the draft, as we start discussing it, that we really need to hit on 7-37, and 37, the way that the Raiders hit on Mack and Carr. That those became the pillars upon which they started building this foundation around, and that's the only thing that could possibly be a, a salvage of any hope moving forward in the next few years to have a decent team. 
Yeah, and they need they need superstars, and that's been the bulky problem. Um, the past couple drafts have not been horrible, but they have yet to produce a Pro Bowl caliber player, and that's what this team had a lot of when they went to the Super Bowl. They didn't go to the Super Bowl with Trent Baalke's mediocre, you know, outstanding fourth round draft picks. They went to the Super Bowl with Hall of Fame caliber players, and they need to start building that again because they have two really good players on the roster that are old and two pretty good players on the roster that are young and still largely unproven and then a bunch of Trent bulky mediocre stuff that's pretty much what the roster is right now and that mediocre stuff can get better um, I think the coaching is going to help but there's not a lot of superstars there and they need a superstar bad so so that we, gets into superstar um, <laughs> big, big trades, right? Number one and number two picks yep. moved. And so the hope of Niners fans to potentially land a, a potential franchise quarterback in, in the local boy, Jared Goff, I, I think it's pretty safe to say there's no shot of that happening now. Um, you have the Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, making the huge move up from 15 to first overall and swapping with the Tennessee Titans. And I think it's my gut tells me Jared Goff's going to go first overall. Mm-hmm. And, that's, that's definitely the, uh, the winds are trending in that direction. And then you have uh, Chip Kelly's old team, who it seems like he was the only one who did crazy stuff in Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> the Howie Roseman Eagles um, make the big, big trade with uh, Miami um, they move up to eight, and now they moved up and uh, traded with the Cleveland Browns for second. And I think it sounds like they really want a uh, a franchise quarterback, much to the chagrin of uh, pseudo uh, faux franchise quarterback Sam Bradford. Um, <laughs> and I think it's safe to say that Goff and, and Wentz are going to be off the board after the first two picks of the draft. Yeah, no, I think that that's right, and I I think it, in some ways it's a relief, right? I mean, the the 49ers, you know, they have two quarterbacks on the roster right now, and we won't even say the the old quarterback's name because we talk about him too much. But Thad Lewis, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, they've got three on the roster then, but they've got Gabbert, they've got Kaepernick, they've he got who shall not be named, yeah, and they've got Thad Lewis. It's not imperative that they they draft a quarterback this year at least at this point it's not and uh, you know apparently Kelly and Trent Baalke really like Gabbard a lot and I'm okay with that because like I said we need a, a guy that we can really hope will be a star and quarterback is just too risky of a dilemma to dig into and neither of these guys have that you know guaranteed absolute lock feel that most quarterbacks don't have so um, I was a little relieved, like, b- about this. You know, I, I'm. It's going to be too bad to watch uh, Jared Goff play for a division rival, but um, I think overall now we can focus on a offensive player or defensive player, more likely that can come in and make an instant impact and be an instant Pro Bowl caliber player for us, similar to what Alden Smith was able to do five years ago. So. I, I kind of put something together that we can kind of talk through, you know, if Goff and Wentz go one and two, I think there's a pretty clear, although it's getting a little muddled in all the draft talk, um, 
you know, there is a pretty clear top five players outside of that. Um, at least in, in my opinion, our opinion, um, although the Ronnie Stanley nightmare is, is becoming closer to a reality, but four defensive players that I'm sure most people listening have heard a lot about already. And the first guy will just get out of the way. You know, there's been a lot of rumblings lately that the 49ers would possibly want to go offensive line in this draft, which makes a lot of sense. Laramie Tunsil has been the consensus number one overall player on the draft boards. Tennessee was supposed to be taking him before they made the big trade. He seems to be falling down draft boards a little bit. It's possible he might make it all the way to number seven. And he's your prototypical left tackle, um, a guy that you could hopefully rely on in that position for 10 more years. But the question that I have is left tackle is the one position in this on this roster where you can say we have a Pro Bowl caliber player. So what happens to the current left tackle if we take the number one overall pick potential left tackle? I think it's a great question. Do you end up kicking Tunsil out to play right tackle for the next few years as Joe sort of um, plays out his days and allow Tunsil to develop and, and get accustomed to the NFL play? And then, bam, in a year or two, you have the guy to, to plug right into to left tackle um, and Tunsil. And, I mean... I'm surprised how much he's fallen. I mean, this is a guy we were talking about going first overall a few weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he seems like he has a great pedigree and great size. Um, a lot of people agree that, you know, he is a, a top five player in this draft. And here's the thing. Big Joe is what? He's 31 now or something? Like, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's 30 or 31. I'll so. Offensive linemen don't typically play that deep into their 30s, and he's had some injury stuff in the past, and he's been a great warrior for us. But you have to wonder with seeing sort of the old guard fading out after last off season, how much longer he he has in him, especially if he's going to be looking at four or five win seasons for the next year or two. You think he's going to want to put up with that for much longer? Um, so obviously. Offensive line is a huge hole for us, and if we want to have any success in, in Chip Kelly's offense, it's something that's going to need to be drastically improved on after last year's play. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, I think most people will answer the question, you know, you, you throw them out at right tackle, and, you, you know, you've got your tackle situation taken care of for a little while. But I just think it's an interesting dilemma. I mean, the line between left tackle and right tackle have changed has changed quite a bit. You know, right tackles used to not be picked in the first round at all. And Trent Baalke took Anthony Davis as a right tackle at number 11 overall, which is not that far, but you know, Tunsil just seems like a a special kind of player and it's very hard to evaluate um, offensive linemen in the draft now, because a lot of them play in spread systems in college and and although we do have a spread system now, but, um, you know, I think it's hard to, to see them kind of develop into the next level. There's been a lot more top five picks, you know, Luke Jokel and Eric Fisher that turn out to, to end up struggling, but Tunsil's a guy that if he's there at number seven, I think you have to jump on. And so 
The question is, what's the best thing to do with Joe Staley? Do you try to maybe trade him to a team that might need a left tackle? Do you do you maybe keep him for a year and then try to maybe trade him at that point? I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer to that. I just think it is an interesting thing because there aren't that many spots on the roster where the 49ers are in pretty decent shape for the next two or three seasons. And if Tunsil or if Ronnie Stanley or Conklin ends up being the guy, mm. um, you know, you're, you're taking a guy number seven overall whose best position, not Conklin's, but Stanley and, and Tunsil for sure, you're taking a guy whose best position is currently played by the best player on the roster. And that's just an interesting dilemma. I think, I think you take Tunsil if the four defenders are not there that we're going to talk about. But um, it would be very interesting to see if he was available, um, whether Trent Baalke would decide to trade back or take him as the best player. Available. I think uh, I would trade back in that situation. And I don't want to trade back, but if that's going to be the pick, yeah. um, I just, f- for the hell we lived through last year and what we're going to live through this year. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I just want to be a reminder that we were just two missed kicks away from having the third or fourth overall pick. Yeah. Um, so thanks to uh, Robbie Gold in Chicago and, and Greg the Leg with the Rams for messing that up for us. But um, I I have no faith. I mean, absolutely zero faith that Trent Baalke has any idea on how to draft offensive players. Yeah. I think that Anthony Davis and Mike Upati was already decided on or was already put on the board by Scott McLuhan before he left prior to that draft. And um, we've gotten a couple of great games out of Carlos Hyde, and that's it. But as far as every other offensive player that Balky drafted, and it's well documented he wanted Andy Dalton, not Kaepernick, um, I have no faith. No faith. So I think we need to stick with, and this is where it goes quickly back to free agency, I think they need to spend money on offensive players and free agency, and... The one thing he's done decently is drafting. He's gotten lucky on some defensive players. So to me, I think if we go into it, um, if Tunsil's the guy there, since we do have Joe Staley, trade back and get a, another second-round pick or something just because of how terrible Trent is at drafting. They really do have to subscribe to the take as many pick as many players as possible and hope you get lucky on one or two of them. Um, I don't want Ronnie uh, Stanley, and I hope he isn't the Eric Armstead of this draft for us. <laughs> and if they take a guard with Conklin at seven overall, this could very well be um, the last podcast that we produce. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and, and Conklin, I mean, Conklin will, would play right tackle for the 49ers. There's no question about it. But, and I, I mean, I, I can understand wanting a right tackle because, you know, people have Trent Brown locked in right now. And, you know, I, I don't, I think it's fair to say that he's a, a stretch as a, as a starter at this point. And anybody who wants to bring up Anthony Davis' name, I'm just telling you right now, it's not happening. He is not going to be playing for the 49ers next year. I've maintained that since when he first retired and all the stuff about him wanting to come back, he will not be on the roster this year. I can guarantee it. So they do not have a right tackle. I can understand them wanting to take a right tackle. I just am not sure it's the best use of the seventh overall pick. Right. So um, as, even as good as Tunsil is. So we'll get into the, 
the more tempting players. Um, yes. So next on that list would be a guy who a year ago, you know, was at a top of uh, the top of a lot of people's uh, mocks for for this year, but uh, Bosa, and he seems to have fluctuated a lot and is all over the place on some people's boards. You know, some people have him going um, third or fourth or, you know, falling all the way down to seventh or eighth. Um, so he, he's sort of up and down. And I guess who who would you put his best, you know, comparison as an NFL player? Yeah, and that's the hard part because, you know, the, the 49ers obviously don't run a 4-3. They have a – they run a 3-4, so – you know, even though they only play that three-man front about 35-40% of the time, um, you know, it's still important to kind of be able to pinpoint is Bosa, would Bosa be an outside linebacker? Would he be a 3-4 defensive end? Could you only play him as a 4-3 defensive end? And so, you know, it, kind of interesting, a guy who had similar questions about him, a highly productive Big Ten defensive end who was a standout player in college but maybe didn't have the right amount of speed to be a 4-3 defensive end or you weren't sure about the powers and it's a lazy comp to a degree but J.J. Watt fits that bill very well and so do you say oh is you know is he going to be J.J. Watt and I think it's unfair to give anybody that type of burden but after watching Bosa I mean I think it's clear to me that First and foremost, he's going to be a great run defender no matter where he plays on a team. He's going to be, if you play him in the 49ers 3-4 defensive end role, I think he's going to be a very quality run defender there, even though he's may not have the size for it right up front. Um, if you play him as an outside linebacker, I think he'd be great at setting the edge and playing the run great. So that's that's the first thing. The second thing is where does he get the best the best pass rush from and and to me and I think to a lot of people that that watch I think in the 49er system it would be from the interior um the three four defensive end spot and then in sub packages Watt is a guy that plays inside and plays outside so I could see that as well but the guy I would give him as a comp um considering those things I just mentioned is actually Michael Bennett with the Seahawks and this is where this is something where it gets very you know, exciting to think about because, you know, Bennett is definitely a tweener. He is an outstanding run defender. But the thing that he's so good at is when you go to the sub package, you have a four-man defensive line, he can kick inside and generate incredible pressure up the middle. And that is where NFL defenses have really gone to the Giants' defensive tackles and ends of the pass. If you have a guy that can play all three downs and can generate interior pressure, that's about as good as it can get. And so that, if if that is what you're expecting out of him to play a three-four defensive end and to play either kick outside as kind of a you know maybe not a speed rusher on the outside, but someone who can get power his way through a, a right tackle or kick inside when you go to a sub package and play that Michael Bennett type role. I mean, that's a very exciting thing because I think that fits really well with NFL defense. Is he going to be that good? Time will tell, but I like a lot of things about Bosa and I think that um, he would be a very intriguing pick, although you don't know exactly what he would be initially for the 49ers. I'm, he's someone that I'm perfectly fine with at seven. Mm -hmm. He feels like, 
all right, we got someone here who has the potential and the ability to become an elite player and a star player to build around, or, you know, he has the potential just becoming a, a, a solid guy to add to the team, you know, and I, I would be fine. He's not, you know, the first guy I'm hoping we would take or second guy, but I think he is someone that I'd be perfectly happy if the cards fall that way. He's someone I could be excited about and, you know, finally have someone we draft that, you know, is sort of a name player and has some hype and potential, um, isn't a project player. Yes. So moving on to the next guy, um, I think he's a guy well, who I, I get most excited about, but also scares me the most. And uh, that's Miles Jack from UCLA. Yeah. And so, I mean, this guy is everybody's favorite player, right? I mean, this is, if you go on Twitter over the past two months, if you follow anybody, when they get to Miles Jack tape day, this that's a day where their Twitter free feed is going to explode. They're going to get very happy. They're going to enjoy what they watch. And, and I think that every, I think most people that I listen to podcasts on, or if I read articles, I think Jack, if he did not have the knee injury and the knee problem, I think he would have gotten up to the number one overall pick, the number one non-quarterback pick in the draft. But there is a knee problem. He has an issue where the cartilage in his knee is detaching from the bone. And at some point down the line, according to probably teams that pick between 10 and 20, they feel like he's going to need some sort of major surgery that could cut his career short. So how concerned are you about the knee injury and would that prevent you from taking him at seven? I'm incredibly nervous about the knee injury. Um, whereas I think it makes Trent Baalke excited. Um, <laughs> of course. And it's odd just as a quick thing, instead of talking about golf and wins, if you had a, a completely healthy uh, Miles Jack and Jalen Smith, you could be talking about those two at one and two. Yeah, they had absolutely. so much hype. You could have had like generational linebackers coming out, um, and it's unfortunate. But I think as Niners fans, we we were geared towards Jared Goff. We were groomed and brought up on golden quarterbacks, especially one from the backyard and and the great miss of uh, missing out on Aaron Rodgers. So we wanted Goff, but everything that. Patrick Willis did for us and how he was sort of the player we built this around that the success we did have for a few years I think it's easy to look at Miles Jack and see you know Patrick Willis part two um, especially getting to pair him with Bowman hopefully for a few years it, it's just something that would be so exciting and missing out on Chris Borland and Willis retiring he would fill a hole in a need that we have to me, without getting a quarterback, he's probably the one player we could pick of the guys we're talking about that would generate the most buzz for the fans, I feel. He's a guy that people would want to go buy jerseys of, in my opinion. I know I would want to buy one, but I am very concerned about the knee, and you don't want to spend something like the seventh pick on a guy who um, you know, you might get a few years out of. And that's why I've always thought the Alden Smith pick was so bad is we really only got two years really out of that pick. 
Um, so I'm very concerned, but it is tough at this point in, in the process with these reports coming out. Like you said, how many are these coming from guys in the double-digit picks that are hoping to scare off some of these teams early on and ha- hopefully get, get Jack to fall a little bit? Um, yeah, and I just want to throw out a couple things. First of all, I mean, obviously, much rather have a healthy a healthy player with no injury history. But, you know, the reports sound like, you know, a lot of people have compared him to Jonathan Vilma, who ended up getting, you know, six or seven good years before he needed, uh, you know, more significant things happen to the knee that they kind of expected to happen. And, I mean, six or seven years in the NFL, first of all, that's longer than an average career. That's longer than the uh, a first-rounder's first contract. I went back and looked at the 2010 draft today, which was six years ago, and there are, there are only four players of the top ten that were picked that year that are still on their the rosters that they were drafted on. And 50% of the picks in the top ten didn't turn out to be very good players at all. So you're already taking huge chances in the top ten of the draft. You're very likely, there's more than half likely that a player you take in the top 10 is not going to be on your roster in six years anyway. So Jack is a guy that fills a need, has incredible ability. I mean, perfect compliment to Navarro Bowman. I can't think of a better compliment to Navarro Bowman as a, as a fellow inside linebacker. A guy who flies around the field that's a leader, um, who I think, like you said, I think fans can rally around. And, you know, if we go out and draft Joey Bosa, I mean, he could tear his ACL. He could do the same injury in training camp. And all of a sudden, we're in the same situation anyway. There's no guarantee that Bosa or Buckner or Ramsey are not going to have any injury problems in the next six or seven years that will shorten their career. So if that's really what the doctors feel like, oh, you're only going to get six or seven good years out of this guy, I still would take him. And I would almost certainly take him over pretty much anyone in this draft so no that's just that's just kind of my general feeling no and i think he miles jack to me equates almost the ideal trent bulky draft pick here yeah and i think and i think there was rumblings that this is the guy he wanted the whole time um but we'll see until recently yeah and the big issue and and we'll continue down this list but the big issue is in my mind the Jaguars and the Ravens two teams with um, people calling the shots who love defense and have become accustomed to having uh, great defenses in Baltimore's case and so it's going to be tough to see them pass on a player like Jack so uh, how would Jack fall to us it would be because of the next two guys we're going to talk about and the first one is uh, Ramsey. And this is a guy who just sounds like he might be the best athlete of all these guys. Um, if you're going off a of pure like athletic ability, he just sounds sort of like a dynamic playmaker and, and someone who is going to have a long-term impact for whatever team he, he goes to. Um, do you think that there's any chance he would even be there at seven for the Niners? No, probably not, and uh, and almost definitely not. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk though that you know teams within the top four picks are 
or th- picking third, fourth, sixth. I mean, they're willing to move. Um, they're willing to move down. So, you know, the better question now, even though I wrote that question, was, <laughs> you know, is it worth giving up maybe a third-round pick to move up and take Jalen Ramsey? And to me, it's yes, absolutely. We have plenty of draft picks. This is a guy who I think um, we'll get to our top five in a second, but this is a guy who I think is the the top ranked guy for me right now. And we have not had the 49ers have not had a number one lockdown corner, you know, superstar type corner. I mean, I'm totally could be forgetting someone, but I'm pretty sure it's Dion was the last guy that we had that that was that type of player. And all praise you, to Prime. You you see what Patrick Peterson has met there, Arizona. You see what, you know, Richard Sherman has meant to Seattle. Josh Norman to Carolina. Yeah, I think that getting that guy that you can play as as your number one corner for the five-year rookie contract and hopefully beyond that is, you know, this guy, you know, in a, in a draft that is full of very talented quarterbacks, this is the guy to get. And I think that if all it costs is a mid-round pick, a third-round pick, now a fourth round pick couple fourths i would definitely make the move i agree i think if all of a sudden you're talking about a defense where you have players who are like you know 23 and younger and you have ramsey uh armstead lynch um ward and tart it that starts to get pretty exciting yeah, you start to see something coming together. I have, I just have the hardest time. I love cornerbacks, and it's because of Dion that I do. But I just struggle to see Trent take one that high, even if he has all the tools and and all the hype around him. Um, but I, I might be wrong. But he is definitely someone who is electrifying, and I would be very excited if if he somehow fell to seven. And um, Trent was smart enough to take him. So we'll, we'll see. But I agree. If, if there is an opportunity to maybe, um, you know, move up a couple spots to five or something and, and it guaranteed you getting, getting a Ramsey, that, that's something I would, I would throw a third or, or fourth at, no problem. No questions asked. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so that brings us to our, our last of our five guys. And this is uh... – a guy who's probably been talked about most for a long time coming to the Niners. Yeah, and I yeah, I think he's the most likely scenario. If the 49ers were to stay at seven, I think DeForest Buckner from Oregon, uh three four defensive end similar to to Eric Armstead, would certainly be the most likely pick. So my question about Buckner is is there is there any chance in hell Russell Wilson will be able to see the middle of the field if we draft another <laughs> six eight defensive tackle? Oh yeah, I think he'll drop <laughs> he'll drop back about fifteen yards and he'll be able to to scurry around. Um, no, I at first Buckner wasn't that exciting. I think you know we're talking months ago back, and you know Goff is who I was really keyed in on. But now with those trades, it really has cleared things up. And it's frustrating knowing that we spent uh, our first round pick last year on on Armstead, but Buckner just seems to have all the intangibles, everything that that you would want in a modern day for a defensive lineman. And as far as you're talking size, the the, the stuff that gets Trent and Chip off, 
size-wise. He just sounds like a behemoth of a man. And so if you're able to, if he's there somehow at seven, which like I said, I think is going to be really, really difficult with uh, Jacksonville and Baltimore picking ahead of us. But if he's there at seven, he's the guy. He is the guy. That means that uh, most likely, you know, Bosa and Tunsil and, and Ramsey are off the board um, by then. So I, I don't know. It's just to pair him with his old coach and his old defensive line coach, the Asman, um, and with his old running partner with, with Arik Armstead, you're talking about sort of uh, like a modern-day Bash Brothers in my mind, getting those guys together and just letting them run wild and really making things difficult at the line of scrimmage. Like, you know, jokingly, but that's going to be difficult for someone like Russell Wilson to get over those the those hands up in the air, you know? Um, and this guy just sounds like he has a motor on him, just goes. And I think that would be – you shouldn't draft this way, but you and I talked about it uh, this past weekend. I can't think of a better player that would mean we would get more out of Arik Armstead and provide more value for our first round pick last year than what Buckner would do. I think it would just bring some confidence and and get things going where we would probably have a higher probability of Armstead becoming a a solid NFL player if he had his old buddy next to him in the, in the trenches. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think there's no, there's, there's more reason to expect Buckner will be a, a good NFL player as opposed to Armstead and I think you know when you're talking about that size and that ability and the production that Buckner had as opposed to Armstead where the production was a little lacking but he had the other things um, I think it makes it a very safe pick I think for the 49ers he's the safest pick here at seven um, because you know exactly where he fits in you know exactly what he can do already and he does have a pretty high ceiling too so that makes it a very appealing pick and for all the reasons you mentioned the familiarity um but yeah it'd be a twin towers in the middle of the field on on third down you'd be rolling out you know your two defensive tackles in your four-man front would be you know six eight and six seven so that's that's something that no nfl team currently has and you know calais campbell was one guy that's six seven but um to have two of those guys in the middle of the field and to have two guys with really high ceilings Um, that's something you can definitely build your defense around similar to what you were talking about with the secondary. So, and I'm not sorry, sorry, not to sell it short, honestly, though, to, to have the opportunity to already have that chemistry developed between these two players and Mm -hmm. the familiarity with the defensive line coach and that scheme, I, it just, it, it looks and seems like it's just a, a smart decision if you want to have more of an immediate impact. And if you're the 49ers, you need to have some sort of immediate impact from this pick. You just put your fans through hell, and you need to show something for it and show signs of getting better. So this isn't a pick that you can go and take an Arik Armstead again. No offense to him, but this isn't a guy that can be a project. If you're picking seventh, you need to take a player that is going to get on the field and make an impact. And not only that, a player that fans can be excited about because you put them through enough. And we need to be excited about something. We've lost enough players that were the guys we would wear on our jerseys and the ones that we were relating to and excited about. This is time to start building and bringing those players back in. 
And we're a team that actually really appreciates defensive linemen because of, of what we had in um, Justin Smith and what we had in Dana Stubblefield and Bryant Young and Charles Haley. You know, this is – we talk about offense and quarterbacks as, as part of the franchise and who we look to, but defensive linemen have been a big part of it. And if you could get a DeForest Buckner – I think that that this team would be the smoothest transition to see more of an immediate impact from him than probably all these other guys, except maybe a Miles Jack. Yeah, and I think that um, you know you can never have enough good defensive linemen ever, and there's no reason why anything they currently have on the roster would prevent them from making the pick if he's the best player available. So let's get to... And also defensive, it doesn't hurt right now to bring in a lot of young stud defensive players with the offense we're going to run because they're going to be on the field a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And rotation, you know, Quentin Dial would still play a lot with those two guys. So... So let's go ahead and let's rank these guys. If all five of these guys were on the board for the 49ers and available... Give me your one through five and who you want them to pick over everyone else. I'll tell you last would be uh, the combo of Conklin and Stanley and, and Tunsil. <laughs> of um, course. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not lying. Like, I can't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, I think uh, fourth I would have Bosa. Um, he just seems to hit or miss for me, especially when you're talking about the talent of these other guys. And this is where it becomes tricky because I really am enamored with with Jack and Ramsey and, and Buckner. I, I mean, I wish there was some way to bring all three in, of course. But it, it's sort of identifying the need and where we are as a franchise. Um, I think I'd probably put Ramsey at three just because cornerbacks either have it or they don't and sometimes it's a a longer transitional period um and some of these guys who've gone in in the earlier first round recently have been sort of busts lately um and then second i would probably go with with buckner i'm a really big fan and and everything i said stands stands true if he if he's the guy we walk away with on on thursday um I'm really, really happy and would even consider getting a jersey. But I think there's just something uh, about these linebackers and Miles Jack um, really excites me. And I, it's just from the past with Bowman and, and Willis and what they did. Um, that's sort of the heart of the defense. And I don't know how much longer Bowman has. And I would like to bring in someone to, to learn from him for a few years and to sort of take the torch Um when he's done. So I think, I think miles Jack would end up being my number one. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I, I would do, yeah. The Tunsil at five. Um, I Tunsil is probably the best player, but just for, for the need and, and the wanting to get the impact defensive player, Tunsil at five, Bosa at four. I agree there. I'm going to put Buckner at three, um, and, and Jack at two. And I, I think getting Ramsey, um, you know, a guy with, very little red flags, no injury history um, to be that number one corner that we haven't had forever. I think that's too that's too intriguing and too uh, too exciting to pass up on. Although if Jack was fully healthy, he would definitely be number one. So it did cost him one spot on my board, but but not that many more. So the question, the next question is, yeah. who are who are they going to take, and what are they going to do? Who's the guy they're going to end up with? 
would you say is most likely in the first round? Unfortunately, I think it might be Ronnie Stanley. Um, <laughs> but if uh, some of these mocks have been coming out in the last few few days here, a lot of people have him passing Tunsil and yep. um, as their best uh, offensive lineman in the draft. So I think if we sort of engineer it quickly, safe to say the price paid for, for the Rams and the Eagles to move up to one and two, that's a price you pay for a guy you think is a franchise quarterback. Right. Yeah, that's that's not a, a price you pay to go up and get Laramie Tunsil. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think it's safe to say those two quarterbacks will be off the board. I think at three, it makes the most sense for me personally for the Chargers to to draft a Tunsil or a Stanley. I think one of the biggest issues they've had is protecting Philip Rivers, and I think that's what they would have to do if they're smart. I could see Ramsey going there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, four. Uh, Cowboys say they're going to stay put. I think they need an impact play. Bosa just makes so much sense to me there. And he's sort of a name, a Midwest guy, someone they could get excited about. Um, But I don't know why. He just seems to make a lot of sense to me there. And then it gets really tricky. Um, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out a way, uh, a scenario where one of these four defensive players aren't available to us at seven. And it's tough, but um, I can easily tell you uh, I don't think it should be Ronnie Stanley or Vernon Hargraves um, <laughs> or Conklin, for that matter. And it just is tough to gauge what's what, what's fire and what's smoke with the, the Miles Jack knee concern. Um, but I'm going to go – I just wishful thinking. I'm going to go with Miles Jack. Yeah, I mean, I I do think it's interesting. I mean, you know, Matt Miller, who, you know, fairly maligned in some parts, but also (laughs) does provide a ton of information to to people um, of Bleach Report, had a really interesting thing in his article today about how Miles Jack has fallen off of their board completely. And I think that might be a smokescreen. And um, I... I am not 100% sure of that, but it would not surprise me at all if he's if he's the guy. But I think the guy they probably will take is is DeForest Buckner because I think he'll be there and I don't think Balky's going to get what he wants to trade down and hey, that's fine with me. I think that's the that's the good compromise with that and you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens and what weird name comes up when the 7th pick comes up, but um you know, I, I think that it's very likely they'll end up with a good player. And, you know, these other players are good players. I mean, Conklin at right tackle will be a pretty good player. And Stanley, I'm sure, could be a very good player. Just not not as exciting as some of these other guys. So let's hope that, that they, they get one of these other guys and, you know, hope for good doctors if it's Miles Jack. So. I'll tell you, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting, but... I am concerned, and you brought it up to me a few days ago, hearing Ronnie Stanley as much as we have um, just feels so much like Armstead from last year. And that is a, a concern because if we're not getting, in my opinion, if it's not one of these four defensive players, and let's be honest with Bosa, I think if it's not one of the three of Ramsey, Jack, or Buckner, then I would like to trade it out of that 
I'd like to trade back. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with Bosa, but if it's Bosa, well, that's if it's not one of those four defensive players, I would like to trade down. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's certainly reasonable, but I I think it's really unlikely that three through six is going to go Jack Buckner, Ramsey, Bosa. I I just don't see that happening. But um, if it does, then absolutely. And and Laramie Tunsil sitting there for a team, I think you can probably get an extra pretty high pick to, for a team. I think you might be able to get a second the way the prices have been with uh, moving up at least a third, you know, but um, yeah. and there's, there's been some rumors of some other things. The jets may be wanting to move up to seven to take back. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that absolutely could happen. The good news is we're actually going to see what happens in two days. Actually the bad news because it's never, no. never turns out the way we want. Does it? So, so, um, you say Buckner, I say Jack at seven. Um, and I think those both of those players make a ton of sense for where we are, and they'd both be good picks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the last thing to close it all out is we do have to talk quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I know that Gabbert is, is Balky's guy, and the Yorks love him because he costs $2.5 million. Um, but that being said, I think heading into training camp, he is the consensus starter, um, regardless of the cap situation. So there's been a a ton of smoke and and fire around the name of, of Connor Cook in relation to the 49ers. So is this a situation I alluded to the Raiders earlier taking a, an impact defensive player with their first pick and then, uh, you know, early second round pick taking a quarterback. Is this a situ- situation where we could end up with a, a Buckner or a Jack and then end up with a Connor Cook at 37? Definitely possible. Um, I don't think that'll happen, and I think the guy they're going to take is is Prescott from Mississippi State. So that's the guy they end up with. I'm not sure where exactly they're going to have to slot in and pick him at, but that's the guy. I think the Cook stuff, I think there might be some agent favors going on there. Or maybe Balky just can't, maybe he's not as good at hiding his information as we thought, and if that's the case, then absolutely is possible he'll go in the second round. Um, but I, I think Prescott's the guy. I think they're going to figure out a way to to get him into Kelly's offense and see and see what Chip can do with him. I don't know if Cap will still be on the roster at this point. I'm going to guess yes, but I think that they're going to be willing to put three quarterbacks on the roster with with Cap because as soon as he gets a hangnail next year, he's going on IR. So I um, think um, I still think there's hope for the Broncos. They can't go into the situation with what they currently have. And I think if Paxton Lynch is gone, which I think he will be before they pick at 31, and if they can't get um, Bradford from the Eagles and aren't interested in Hoyer or Fitzpatrick, I think it just makes sense. And when you're there on the draft day and, and you can add another pick if you're Trent Balky and you see sort of how the board's uh, you know unfolding, I still think there's potential for, for Cap to be moved. And I actually do believe there's there's some serious interest in Connor Cook and I could even see Trent moving up from 37 a few picks to to get him but um if not I I'm just a believer I'm a, I'm a Vernon, Vernon Adams guy 
I'm just what can I say? I want I want to take a gamble on him, and if he's someone who goes in the fifth or sixth round, I'd rather take him than a punter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think that might be a better move. But in my mind, I I almost think the 37th pick or second round pick is a little almost more important than the seventh because there are great players there at seven. Um, 37 is where we need to hit because we need to come away with two quality players at least at minimum from this draft. So in my mind, that is a very critical pick and that's uh, around in an area that um, Trent has routinely struggled in um, is the second round. So I'm, I'm really hopeful that we can get a dynamic player. Um, it'd be great if there was someone like a Noah Spence or something there, but we need to bring someone. Um, I know you like the offensive lineman from Stanford as well. Um, yep. Josh Garnett. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I just, I'm really hopeful. That's, that's a pick that I have the most um, interest in, honestly. So it'd be fascinating to see what happens there. But uh, I think trade we, trade down for sure. Oh yeah, trade down. Um, can't wait. How how many uh, Jed York tweets will we get with hashtag Trader Trent over this weekend? <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna get any. I, I think he he has sworn Twitter off, or or he isn't gonna get emotional on Twitter anymore. I guess so. I don't think that's getting emotional. I think we're gonna see at least <laughs> two two tweets with hashtag okay. Trader Trent. He just he just can't help himself, you know. Oh no, there's no reason. He's uh, he's better than all of us. Um, he doesn't owe us anything, but anyway, I think that's a pretty good consensus over, um, what we're looking at heading in, you know, I'm sure as soon as we post this podcast, there'll be some other trade or action that happens, but, uh, hopefully when it's all said and done on Thursday, we're walking away with a guy that we're excited about and that we can sort of foresee becoming one of those, uh, foundational pieces for, for the new uh, generation of, of 49ers. Yeah, I mean, it's time to it's time to rebuild. And uh, we'll go through the, the Jacksonville Jaguar rebuild process, and it'll be lots of fun. So, but no, this is this is exciting. I think I think there's some reasons to be optimistic. And um, I, I, I think this will be a, a draft that they can it's a make or break break draft. I'm willing to give bulky one more between before i completely say get rid of him so hopefully he comes through and uh gets a guy that we can be excited about honestly the way the last year has played out uh, for me personally uh being a fan for over 30 years and and loving this team uh everything from the last year uh to two years this is the final straw this is your inactivity in free agency the handling of coaching the coaching staff um the players we've assembled, all of it, uh, the terrible stadium. Uh, if you're going to try to get better or get back on track, this is the pick to do it, especially after the season we just went through. So um, let's have someone we're at least somewhat excited about. Yep, totally agree. But we uh, we appreciate all of you, um, if you're still out there, uh, hanging with us. And it's nice to actually be getting back into football related activities and you know um be interesting to to see I haven't had much reporting out of the camp but everyone's trying to to spin it really positive um with uh, what they're talking about I just know that Eric Reed's been going to prom and he's been working out and he's uh 
determined. So that's what I picked up from the official 49ers social media account. There's a lot of Eric Reed information. Yeah, and, and Jordan Devy's sitting outside team facilities ready to sign any contract that they're willing to give him. He's drinking the uh, high C cooler from the upcoming <laughs> Ghostbusters movie. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Hench, it's good to be back with you, and we'll uh, we'll be back at this with a draft recap, um, and hopefully I'll, we'll have some exciting stuff to talk about. Unless we do draft uh, Stanley or, or Conklin, then um, thank you for being loyal listeners and we wish you nothing but the best but hopefully we'll have reason to do another show fire and brimstone that's right that's all we have (laughs) all right until next time uh, we'll see you out in the field take care